welcome to another episode of the SparkCast podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Mathis, along with my co-host, Atika Johnson. And today we have a very special guest. Yes, today we have Mr. Alex Knight. He is currently the course director for artist management in the music business and entertainment business bachelor's program here at Full Sail University. So you're also a writer and a musician, Yes. So how did you get started with writing and music? Uh, I've been writing as long as I can remember, just different things. Excuse me. Sometimes I, you know, ended up as a kid just channeling that into poetry. Um, And then I got a little bit older and uh, started playing guitar when I was 10. Started playing in bands when I was like 14. I have a younger brother who's, uh, I kind of forced him into drumming uh, so that he could play with me. So so that was cool. I always had like a built-in drummer in the house. And so we wrote songs together and then started playing in bands from there. Okay. Cool, cool. So uh, as far as becoming an instructor at Full Sail, how did that come about? Well, uh, I was in a band for a number of years that that toured, uh, and that kind of fell apart at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um, And it left me wondering what I was supposed to be doing, because that's all I had worked towards up until then, you know? And and we, we got into a certain point where... Um, I realized that I actually didn't enjoy living on the road very much, uh, as much as I thought I was going to. And so uh, I was kind of looking for a place of, uh, of, you know, creative projects, things like this happening, <laughs> you know, uh, but that also um, allowed me to kind of put my experience to use, uh, to, to youth, I'm sorry. No, to use. I said the right word. Um, and I just, I honestly, I was looking at getting my master's degree here and just happened to click on the jobs thing. It was like, oh, like... You know, uh, my my experience is actually valuable somewhere. You know, because I grew up in Alabama, and mm-hmm. that that uh, was not the case there. Nobody, you know, if you say you're in the entertainment industry in Alabama, nobody knows what to do with you. So right. uh, <laughs> they're like, "But what do you really want to do?" So uh, so seeing that there was like a hub here of creative people, I I really enjoyed it and. Um, I uh, started with the event management class in the entertainment business program, um, and then transitioned to artist management and music business program. All right. Okay. Um, so as far as um, your career, I want to know more about your career, you yeah. know, touring and what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. For sure. Um, you know, the reasons why it led to you wanting to change your atmosphere. Yeah, it, well, it, it's uh, so we did it for a long time. Like I was I was on the road. Uh, I honestly like every, every whenever this conversation happens, I'd go back in my head and I'm like, how long was it actually? And I've never actually taken the time to go figure it out because it was like spread out, but maybe four or five years, something like that, that we were touring pretty consistently. Okay. Um, so it, I, I don't know if you know anyone that, that has been like in that lifestyle or not, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's all the things that you kind of hear about. It's grueling. It, like most people talk about the fun experiences, mm-hmm. the crazy stories, right. the shows and all that stuff. But if you think about what the day to day life is like, it's like. Uh, eight hours, 10 hours in a van or, or whatever, and you're sleeping in the back of it, or you're having to stay at random people's houses mm-hmm. and they're disgusting and you know, <laughs> things like that. So uh, that's, yeah. th- that's what took the toll on me, I think. And also, I mean, you all know, studying the music business, like money right now is unreliable unless you, I mean, if you're one of the lucky few that get up to like beyond the middle class of, of musicians, you know, right. um, but like when you're kind of in that middle class of working musicians, you have to keep going constantly. And if you stop, the money stops. Right. And, and you need like every little bit to help you along, like while you're trying to make ends meet. So, exactly. yeah, it was just, it was just, it was grueling. 
Uh, we got to a point where we were attracting um, label attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, a lot of our friends were too. And we were finding that some of them, some of them were like not in deals that they were particularly happy with or that they felt like were going to lead to them succeeding. Um, so when, once we got to that point, we were already kind of fractured over a couple of other things. And then we weren't thrilled with what was being presented to us. And we weren't sure that it was going to lead us into a, you know, it it almost seemed like it was going to lock us into, Hey, you're going to be on the road the next seven years. And we don't know if you're going to break even, you know, and that was just a hard place to be like, and, and, um, so yeah, anytime a band breaks up, there's like 15 things that lead to it. That was like one of the cracks for us, but yeah. Right. So as far as. (laughs) Being on the management side, mm-hmm. you you were also a tour manager mm-hmm. as well. As far as being on the manager side, did it did that experience from being an artist kind of um, clash with that? No, actually, it, it kind of like led to it directly because okay. uh, I, I very much come from like the DIY world of you know like we were I started off in like a pop punk band when I was younger and everyone was just trying to make things happen for themselves, so. The only reason that I even got into management or tour management or anything like that is just because everybody else in the band was too lazy to do it. So, oh, you know, okay. <laughs> like, and I was the only one that was like motivated and ambitious. And I was like, we got to make something happen because I got to get out of Alabama. Uh, so <laughs> it was just nonstop, like, just like, how do you book a show? Mm-hmm. How do you promote a show? How do I get out of this city? How do I, you know, and you just by accident, you kind of fall backwards into figuring out what you're doing for real, you right. know? And then once once people in our local scene realized that I was figuring those things out, then they wanted help doing yeah. their own stuff. And so that's kind of how I got into that. But largely, most of my work was done for bands that I was in. You know, I was kind of de facto managing them or we would split up um, uh, duties. And, and so we all learned a little bit about booking and merchandising and all those kinds of things that way. Yeah. Right, okay. So um, switching gears to your role here as course director mm-hmm. uh, do you often do do your students often ask you those stories about your time on the road and uh, being on tour and what advice do you usually give them that, that's probably the thing I'm asked about the most frequently I talk about it like I, I build it into my curriculum for sure like I tell a few stories but I also try to make it a point to pull lessons from the stories you know there's a lot of things where you could just be like oh that's funny but i think it's kind of important to like really zoom out and be like all right so what did we how did that shape our behavior moving forward or whatever so the thing that i tell them um if they want to get into this line of work is test it out make sure that it's for you and the way that you kind of do that find some local artists or some like underground artists that you can realistically get in contact with and, you know, just start making yourself present in their work, whether it means showing up to their shows or whatever, but let them know, hey, I'm serious. I'm, I'm thinking about doing this for a line of work. I'd love to help you with whatever you specialize in. Maybe you do graphic design. Maybe you do video, video editing, you know. Um, maybe you're looking to, to learn how to actually book shows or tour management. So let them know what you're interested in and what you do. And then start kind of putting yourself out there of, of like, you know, I'd like to be of help uh, any way I can. I'll do it for free for a little while, you know, just to kind of get a foot in the door. Um, and then if you actually get in a situation where you can do these things, merchandising or uh, maybe a little independent tour management or something like that, which is, I mean, that's that's what I, I started doing, independent tour management, which meant like I had to pay my own bills and just go out on the road with a band for a while, you know. Um, but if you take it seriously, um you probably remember we talked about this in class. Like it, it was uh, like treat it like an internship and go out there and really make a point. Like when you go to every city, every venue, 
shake hands with the promoter, like get to know who's who's pulling the strings behind the scenes right. and stay in contact with them and really try to make a good impression. And it, it uh, I mean, I've seen people turn that into a career. You know, the the booking agent that booked my band, he started off as a drummer in a band and just happened to be the kind of guy that was so good at staying in contact with people and making friends and working hard that he kept getting other opportunities to book shows for other people. And then he eventually became the vice president of like one of the biggest agencies in the country, you know? So, but he started off, you know, sleeping on the floor like, like we did, you know? So, <laughs> right. so you would say like part of it is soft skills, like, you know, being polite, you know, speaking to everybody in the room when you come in, mm -hmm. knowing when to talk and yeah. when not to talk. And then the other half of that is technical skills. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And approaching, you know, uh, one thing that we we definitely talk about in my class is the approach to networking because everybody kind of like, yeah. you know, at Full Sail, you always hear networking, you know. Yeah. But to me, it's such a, like, you can't underestimate the importance of you bringing value to the conversation. So it can't always be about listen to my band, listen to my artist, listen, you know, like pay attention to me, give me things. How do mm -hmm. I get a foot in the door? It has to be like, how can I how help, can I help you, you, you know, with your project and stuff? And what can I bring to the table as well? Um, and I think if you, if you find that people will take you more seriously, you know, maintain relationships, even if there's nothing in it for you for three years, because all of a sudden on that third year, something might pop up and you're going to be the first person they think of. So um, yeah, it's, it's about how you carry yourself. It's about the work that you do. And then it's about, taking the extra step to put in in the maintenance you know to those relationships i i definitely have the personality type where <clears throat> i will randomly just uh, even if you're just talking about like my my friend group like i'm the one that's putting together get togethers i'm the one that's suggesting like hey we should all get together and i don't know have a game night or whatever it is that that you know uh that was a nerdy example, but whatever it is that people do <laughs> i'm old now so that's what i'm <laughs> looking forward to is game nights uh but like if if I wasn't putting that out there, those things wouldn't happen. The, the people, everybody's comfortable sitting at home watching Netflix, you know. So, like, someone, I think, has to have that mentality of, like, let's actually get together and either make something creative or uh, get out of our comfort zone a little bit. And it takes a certain personality type to push you in that direction. Um, and I've either been blessed or cursed with that personality type. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, constantly evaluating whether or not uh, are you stagnating or are you actually making yourself a little bit uncomfortable to push your career in the direction that you want it to go in? Right. That's really important. And and if you if you see talent in the people around you, which is a skill that artist managers tend to have, um, push them. You know, bring them with you. Get out of your comfort zone. Right. Put on some real pants. Get out of your pajamas. Turn off Netflix. Let's go. Like actually work on something. You know, like yeah. put your abilities to use. I agree. So how was like managing your own friends like? being a manager over them. You know what's weird is I didn't know that that's what was happening at the time. Like, uh -huh. you know, like it, it, later on, we all kind of like like once we were all looking for different types of jobs and everything, mm -hmm. we we were kind of breaking down what our experience was and we were like, you know, like we were managing this thing, like we were booking the shows, we were doing the merchandising and everything like that, but in the moment, it was more just trying to figure out what the next step was in mm -hmm. our career as a whole. So, 
Um, there were definitely moments where we didn't see eye to eye on what that step should be. Um, but I think just keeping in mind that we all had the same end goal in mind helped us. And I was lucky to tour with a bunch of people that were friends of mine, like lifelong friends of mine, mm -hmm. you know, like my brother was our drummer, as I mentioned. So obviously I've known him, uh, for his whole life. Um, our guitarist was a, a guy that lived across the street from me since I was five years old. Mm -hmm. So our friendship came first and then the business stuff came and that helped, helped us navigate things to a certain degree, you know? Uh, but I think it's just a matter of prior, uh, prioritizing things. The thing that we always came back to when we were getting heated or, or like didn't see eye to eye mm -hmm. is to just kind of take a step back, calm down, and rem like e even if it takes saying it out loud, like we're all working towards the same goal. We all have the same like long term result, hopefully in mind. So you know, right now we may be differing about do we turn left or turn right, but it's all shaping back in that same direction. You know, so that, that really helped us pull things together. I think. So, um, and I know we, you kind of mentioned it uh, as far as getting that label attention, you know, and things kind of didn't work out the way that uh, that you all quite thought that it would. Uh, but what was that whole experience like? Like, was it like you guys were super pumped that you got that label attention? Because that's like the dream mm -hmm. of a lot of people who, you know, want to start that tour life and that musician life. Yeah, it's um, it, there were definitely moments of, of like major excitement when we found out so and so was interested in us. In fact, when we landed that booking agent that I uh, that I mentioned, and just uh, in case anyone's not familiar, like the booking agent, their primary focus is booking tours for you, getting you better shows, and everything like that, which we've been doing ourselves. And if anyone out there has done independent booking you know that most of it is like not having your emails answered, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so just getting a name attached to us that got our emails answered was such a huge step in our career that right. I remember we had um, been working with this guy and had a relationship with him for a while and he was interested in us and we knew he liked his music and all that stuff. And then finally we played this one show in New Jersey and he watched us play and signed us in the parking lot. And so that was one of our moments where we were like, you know, we were playing it cool in the parking lot. Like, oh, yeah, you want to work with us? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And then as soon as he was like around the corner, we're in the band. We're like all hugging each other yeah. and freaking out. And like, oh, my God. Um, and it was legit. Like, I mean, our lives changed overnight. Like, you know, yeah. it was suddenly we got very reputable tours and it, it, the work was coming in, you know. So um, with the labels, it was more... It was more of a matter of being young enough to have incorrect expectations as to what that looks like. I think mm -hmm. people still think that means here's a bucket of money, you're going to be famous tomorrow. Yeah. And so as we got older, we realized that that's not actually what that process looks like. It's like here's a bank loan and you got a 50-50 shot from here. You know, We'll see if we feel like promoting you properly or whatever it might be. Um, and you kind of need the stars to align. There's a lot of luck that, that's involved, like more than people like to admit, I think. You, know? right. um, you can engineer your own luck by putting yourself in the right situation sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there, so like – that I, I think early on we would get wind of like so and so liked your band and so and so was at your show and they're they're interested in you, and initially we were like wow that's great we're maybe we're gonna get signed tomorrow, six months later that was the last we'd heard of it you know right. and that happened to us enough to where we stopped having emotions and feelings anymore and we were just like just you know when we heard that skin. stuff we we're like okay we'll see yeah. what happens but uh, even though that sounds a little jaded, it helps you navigate those waters when you actually are in them. You're like, okay, now I realize I don't have to take the first thing that comes my way. Mm -hmm. um, 
We don't have to work with the first person who's interested in us. Let's really evaluate these scenarios and say, uh, if if you know Jane Doe at this particular record label wants to work with us, do we think she gets what we're going for? Does she, do we think that she understands our long term vision? And if not, let's not be afraid to say no here, you know, uh, because we don't want to lock ourselves into a long term. And, and that's really what happened was there were a couple of situations that were like that we just weren't feeling as much, right. and, and the, those were the ones that we kind of walked away from on our own. One of them, uh, the one situation was something that in retrospect we should have taken, uh, but it was a kind of lesser known label at the time. They were kind of young upstarts, you know, right. and we we're like, oh, who are they? You know, mm-hmm. five years later, they're everybody, you know, like right. everybody wants to be on that label. <laughs> um, and we could have been one of their early, um, but we had gotten a little too big for our, you know, for our situation at the time. So, you know, it's all lessons. Everything's lessons. Exactly. And that, that seems to be a, uh, a big thing in the industry right now is artists aren't really looking at what they're signing they're just jumping right on the first Mm -hmm. the first thing and then you have the other side of it like you said walking away from something that could be big as far as uh in in the future you know that's a great point it's it really is like to me the most important thing is not the name recognition of the label or the name recognition of the people that you might be working with it's like really talk to them and say do they get what we're going for right have some in-depth conversations about your long-term plans and stuff uh because that's so much i would rather have someone who really believes in me and is going to do everything they can to fight for me who's not established mm-hmm. uh, or not as established or something than someone who is a huge name that has 15 other clients and is just kind of like, oh, we'll see what happens with, with these guys, you know? Um, and I think, you know, in, in my class is artist management. One thing that we do is we study successful artist managers from, from history, music history. And you'll, you'll see that the ones that are really successful, they usually come from the ground up, like, you know, uh, with, uh, with their artist. And it's because they believe in them 110%. Um, and, and they're willing to like go to bat for them over and over again. Any notable ones that you can name? Well, <laughs> I am always looking for an excuse to talk about the Beatles. So uh, I'm, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but they're uh, they really were like, um, if you dive into like the the nitty gritty of their background, they were this rough around the edges bar band uh, that had just played uh, all. They'd spent all this time being a bar band in Hamburg, Germany, like in the red light district where it's like. You know, it was like people coming back after World War II and everything like that. So it was like a rough crowd, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And they came back to Liverpool, England, which is where they were from. And they had all this practice, so they were really good. They blew every band around there uh, out of the water. But honestly, that's probably where that story would have ended had their manager not stumbled upon them. They didn't really quite know what to do next and and everything like that. And the, the manager that found them... Um, immediately like had a long-term vision for them. He was like, I think they, this could be the biggest band in the world, but here's what we need to do. We need to clean up your stage show. We need to put you like in, in clothes that are more friendly to, to potentially getting you on TV. Mm-hmm. We just need to play the game a little bit to, to you know, go in that direction. And, and he shopped them to every record label in England, uh, got turned down by every record label in England, and kept fighting and kept fighting because he believed in that vision so much. Um Paul Rosenberg with Eminem, they came up together. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of who else. Kevin Lyles, who works with like um, Trey Songs, Big Sean. Those are some of like his uh, the people that he's worked with. He's really well known for being sort of a 
holistic hands-on manager that's involved in every little thing. Um, so yeah, like all, all those, uh, I mean, I've got a list that we go through in my class of like <laughs> yeah. different artist managers. Right. That's probably 25 people long. Um, Johnny Wright. Johnny Wright is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh, Orlando based too. Mm-hmm. He had a compound here. The cool thing about Johnny Wright is that he would make everybody live together and yeah. follow the same regimented training, almost like boot camp. So it's like, you know, vocal lessons at this time and, and then dance rehearsal. And then so they're bonding as people without knowing that that's what's happening yeah. because they're all complaining about all this work that they have to do together, yeah. you know, right. <laughs> uh, but they're also getting trained together, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I really I, I heavily preach music history importance in my class because there's so many things that you can pull from it without having to go learn things the hard way. The only other way to learn that lesson is to go try something in real time and think you can figure it out yourself, realize that, oh, like, oh, I messed that up or whatever, but now that just cost you two years of your career, you know? Mm-hmm. Could have learned that from a documentary. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I learned so much from the Beatles. I, I yeah. always talk about them because <laughs> they're, they're, they're so well documented and because they're masters of their craft, mm-hmm. it's hard to find any other master of any other craft that has that much information about about them available out there. Right. Um, so yeah, they always come to mind for me. I also pull from. Sorry, I'm on a tangent right oh, now. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I pull a lot from um, uh, other creative lines of work. So there's like a there's a book about Pixar that's really interesting about how they create their uh, how they manage their creative process. And you can take a lot of lessons from that and apply it to any creative endeavor. Um, I just watched the Imagineering documentary on Disney Plus about, I I don't know if you know what that is, but uh, the Imagineers are what they call the Disney engineers who create the theme park rides. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff in there that lined up exactly with like, with things that I teach in my music business class. You know, it's just all about managing the creative approach. So, yeah. That's that's interesting. Never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm, a big fan of uh, of football, and the man the re- the way that I found out about that Pixar book mm-hmm. was hearing the general manager of the Colts talk about how he takes things from that Pixar book and uses it to manage his uh, his football team. So, oh wow! Um, and I was like, well, what am I missing here? You know. Right. So I went into it and I was like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that are applicable. So yeah, because that's that's a crazy parallel to you know yeah. football and <laughs> Disney movies. Right, right. You think you think so, but you know it. the the whole thing is that you're managing a team of people right. that are all working towards a common yeah. goal. So you find those commonalities and they they really become relevant quickly. If you guys want to do a whole episode about the Beatles, let me know. Uh, I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> we might have to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's uh, some gems in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look that up, actually, because I'm interested in that. Yeah. Um, I'll give you some resources. <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> I have way too many. You said something interesting in the uh, while talking about the Beatles, uh, how their, their manager uh, kind of cleaned them up mm-hmm. playing the game, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. And so do you think that what what advice would you give to an artist in this day and age because of the rise of independence and I'm going to do it my way type thing? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to them about playing the game? Because I, I know some artists personally and they're kind of like, I don't want to do it this way. I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of try to tell them like, well, you might have to do it a certain way like you mm. you have your morals and the ground that you stand on yeah and then there are compromises that you might have to right. make right and i think that's a good way of looking at it is just like drawing that line between like what do you really feel strongly about when when you look at what happened with them they didn't 
you know, they, they didn't go back on any of their morals. They didn't, you know, like anything like that. They just like, they were wearing leather suits and smoking and drinking on stage and they were cussing and like all this other stuff. And their goal was to be this huge band, you know, and this is 1963 in England. So what their manager basically said was like, there's no way you're going to get from point A to point B if you don't change something. You can't get on TV in England in 1963 looking like you do and talking like you do, right. you know? Um, so like, let's, let's make everybody fall in love with you. And then you could do whatever the hell you want. Then you can wear what. And if you notice from their career, like three years later, they're you know they're they're peace, wearing whatever they want. They're gro- yeah, yeah, it's like they're dropping acid and their hair's down their yeah. back and like all that stuff. So it's it's a very different band. But they had to get everyone to fall in love with them first. Right. So, um, but I do think that there's some importance in what do you really stand for? What are you not willing to compromise? But be reasonable about that. You know, like you, you don't want to. You don't want to like if you come from a particular um, maybe like community or social movement that you're trying to give a voice to. You don't want to sell that out. Obviously, you don't want to make that kind of compromise. But um, if it's just kind of like, you know, like we said, kind of playing the game a little bit to get people to notice you at first, then, you know, you know, who's another good example of this Um, Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like when she first came out, what do you remember about her? Like. The clothes, the statements, like the, it was, right. So, yeah, uh, before that, she was a singer-songwriter who was, like, very, had a very Mm stripped-down image. She went by her real name, which is Stephanie Germanata. Um, She's, like, playing the piano, doing Mm singer-songwriter songs, you know. Um, But... She had an interest in, I mean, even the name Lady Gaga, I think it's a reference to Queen. So like Freddie Mercury, you know, big theatrical stage shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I would guess, I've never actually heard her say this, but I would guess from what she was wearing and everything like that, that she's probably a David Bowie fan. Uh, if you, And like Elton John with the big costumes and everything like Definitely. that. Um, so she kind of took a page out of their books and was like, okay. I, I know I can write really good songs. How do I get people to pay attention to me? Mm-hmm. What's worked in the past? Well, you know, Elton John in a Donald Duck costume on stage like is making people talk about him. So uh, why don't I do something crazy like that? But not so she she's kind of doing that aspect of playing the game, and then simultaneously using the voice that that gives her to make a statement on behalf of like right. LGBTQ or mm-hmm. like whatever um, social movements that she prioritized at that mm-hmm. point in time. So, you know, it all kind of ties together, but I think there's there's more strategy involved in it than a lot of young artists give it, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's not their own fault because where are you going to learn all this stuff if if you're not in a place like this or if you're you're not just feeding yourself documentaries about these artists all the time, right. which you can do, by the way. And it's all on Netflix. You can Google the answers to all these questions, but right. you got to go find it yourself. <laughs> Google's your friend. <laughs> yeah. Right, because she wanted to be an actress first yes. before. Yeah. So she said, like, she would move into music first and then go into acting because she already wanted to do it, but go ahead and start her platform with music first. A hundred percent. Is she... If you look at what she did, that's, you know, she Amazing. made this, and it's it's almost an exact parallel to the Beatles. You see, when I talk about them in class, people think it's like <laughs> it's like old news and it's not relevant anymore. I'm like, watch how often these things pop, pop mm-hmm. up again and again and again. Right. You, it's just different eras, different clothes, whatever, you know. But uh, yeah, so she she got the attention initially by changing her look, and then she was able to do whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and now she can branch off into acting and show these other talents and everything, you know. Yeah. So one thing that I talk about is kind of look at at artists that you think are similar to you and ask yourself honestly, if if I got dropped in a bucket with all these artists, is there anything that that 
grabs attention, you know, like that would make people look at me a second time as opposed to these 15 other artists that are all same genre as me. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be your look, it could be your sound or something like that, but you've got to really be honest about it because if you're not doing anything different, well, then guess what? You're not just competing with 10 or 15 people, you're competing with what? Thousands, Everybody. you know, like yeah. <laughs> uh, so. If you're not standing out in that small of a sample size, what 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 are you doing? You've got to change something up, you know. Yeah. So, um, just be careful about falling into that trap of just doing what everyone else is doing because that's what you think you're supposed to be doing. You know, right. uh, make an effort to kind of stand apart from them a little bit. Being open to change as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, what do you mean by that? Like, just like. Being open to change. Mm. So instead of like just always being. Like yourself or whatever, like you say, if you have a manager or someone that is coming in and they want to change your look or whatever, be open to it. Just kind of being, yeah. like you said, some artists, when they start out, they don't know who mm-hmm. they are. Um, but so just being open to it. Yeah. Being open to your manager speaking to you and helping you out. That that really helps. A lot of <laughs> a lot of like newer artists are so like like worried about everybody trying to change them or something like that, that they, you know, they forget that the purest version of what we're talking about doesn't involve doing anything you don't want to do. So like the purest version of what we're talking about is look at your legitimate influences, who really like shaped how you write and what, how you think about your art, mm-hmm. pull inspiration from them. Don't be afraid because yeah. like people get so worried about like, oh, I, I want to be 100% unique and I don't want to copy anybody or whatever. But like nobody's un- like that's not a real thing. That's yeah. a false expectation that's being set out there. You're making a form of art that's been made for mm-hmm. hundreds of years and your tools in making that art are your inspirations. Like mm-hmm. the people that you, you know, like, um, I look at music as a conversation, right? So what, what is going to be your personal vocabulary? And you assemble that from your, your musical influences, your fashion influences like that, you know? So the thing that makes you unique might be, that you have a certain combination of artists who influence you in a very interesting way that makes you different than everybody else. Right. Um, if you look at the video for um, Thriller by Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. great video. It break, yeah, a groundbreaking, game-changing, life-changing, world-changing music video, right? The pitch for that video looks like him talking about, um, I like Hollywood musicals like West Side Story. I like horror movies uh, like the Universal Monster movies. And I like, um, you know, Night of the Living Dead and things like that. And then also I make pop music that you can dance to. Mm -hmm. And if you say that on paper, it sounds like an insane person talking, right? But if you look at that video, they're wearing 50s clothes like West Side Story. You know, they're Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the zombie um, makeup effects of these old Hollywood movies. They're doing shot for shot stuff from the old Universal uh, werewolf movies, you know. So he figured out a vision that tied all those things together in a really unique way. But he's pulling those visions from something. He just has like a a, a very interesting way of doing it. I, I think that's what true artists can can do is like they, they build their vocabulary and then start a very interesting conversation on their own kind of. Any horror stories from the industry or in <laughs> Or in your teaching career that you uh, want <laughs> horror story. You don't want to hear those. <laughs> it's just me yelling at a at a paper like you know on my computer or whatever. That <laughs> like why didn't you listen to me? Um, I definitely have horror stories. I'm trying to think of like what might be. There's a couple I tell in, in class that uh, that I pull lessons from. Um, in one case, we like my band was very. Um, we had a very poppy singer who got comparisons to Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. but a lot of our friends were in hardcore bands. They were like, oh, you know, like screaming and stuff. Yeah. And uh, we so we always ended up on these shows with all these heavy bands. And um, 
we were also co-managed by maybe since we're recording I won't name the actual band but uh we were co-managed by a band that's very well established now like by a couple of members of that band that's that's well known and we played a, a show where um once we started playing a couple of the guys that were like hardcore music fans uh didn't like the how poppy we were so they got mad and long story short, one of them got up on the other one's shoulders. He pulled a disco ball down from the ceiling and he threw it up on stage <laughs> at us. And then two of the guys from the band that co-managed just jumped out into the audience and were just like beating the crap out of this kid in the audience <laughs> while we're still playing. Like, what's going on? You know. <laughs> so uh, I pull a bunch of lessons from that in class because it, we really did learn uh, a couple of different things um, from that experience. Um, wow. I have an actual horror. You said the word horror, and it like I have like a borderline paranormal experience from tour. That's kind of interesting. I would love to hear that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. it's a little long. I'll try, I'm trying to think of the shortened version of it. So one thing you have to know is that uh, I have a history of having night terrors. I, I used to sleepwalk a lot when I was a oh, kid. Wow. Yeah. I used to like wake up at my bus stop and things like that with my backpack on and Whoa, be like, no. really? what's going on? That's you know, like, I haven't really rode the bus in two years. You know? That's uh, insane. <laughs> the scariest one is I, I woke up driving my car one time, Whoa. Uh, like not too wow. far from my house, luckily. But I like I woke up because uh, somebody was beeping their horn at me and I was like, <gasps> you know, I just yeah. like, came Whoa. home, gave my that's, brother my keys. And I was like, that's yo, scary. watch me, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> Make sure I don't leave. Um, so in my night terrors, there's this one lady that has popped up repeatedly um, over and over again. I kept seeing her. And basically what happens is while I'm asleep, I become frozen. And this woman walks into my room. She locks eyes with me and like follows me like uh, as she creeps across the room. And I'm just like, you know, staring in my bed, <laughs> like looking at her. And then she crouches down and she, she looks terrified, like, like someone's after her basically. So we play, and I've seen her off and on for years. Um, I thought that I stopped having my night terrors at a mm -hmm. certain point. And um, I was with uh, my now wife, uh, but when we were dating, she was uh, at my house and we were both asleep. And I had the first night terror that I'd had in probably six years or something like that. And I jumped from, like, I was on this side of the bed. I went clear over her and was yelling all kinds of, of obscenities and, like, pointing. I was like, <laughs> who is that? Who is that? You know, in the corner. And uh, I grabbed a baseball bat, like, out of the corner of the room. And then she she had no idea what was going on. She thought, actually, like, there was someone in the room. So she, like, pulled the sheet over her head. And she's like, what's going on? What's going on? You know, she's freaking out. And so I'm, like, about to go, like, after this thing. And then I kind of, like, wake up and I'm like, oh, oh, well, that was crazy. Put the bat down and go back to sleep. And she's like, what was that? Like, we, you need to wake up and we need to talk about what yeah. just happened, right. you know? <laughs> so the, the woman that I saw in that night terror um, cut to a few years later. We used to play in Pontiac, Michigan, all the time. Uh, there's a venue there called the Crowfoot, and it's like it's outside of Detroit. It's a it's a really cool venue. Some of our best shows were there. But Pontiac is like a ghost town, like or at least it was when we were playing there. This was maybe you know seven eight years ago. Um, and when, when I say that, I mean like we played there. Then the owner of the place took us across the street to these abandoned apartments, and like you could walk in like people's apartments, and they like their furniture was still there and stuff, but they hadn't been there in however long. So it's like it's really creepy. It's just got yeah, a creepy, that's... eerie feeling to it, right? <laughs> so everybody else goes off to this club uh, to hang out after we played, and it's like late at night, and I was starving, so I'm like walking around looking for food somewhere, and it's just me on this like long narrow street, you know, with all these buildings and everything's closing, and it's like dark and cold. It looks like a horror movie, like straight up. And um, 
And so everybody else is gone. I find this one little diner that's uh, open for another like 20 minutes or something like that. And I felt bad going in there and asking for food. But I was like, yo, like I'll I'll eat it outside. You know, like I don't want to make a mess and keep you guys here later or whatever. So they sold me something to eat. And then I took it outside and then they all closed the shop and they left and went out the back way. Right. So it's for real just me sitting on a bench in the middle of this creepy town (laughs) eating my food. And way down the street, I see somebody like walking towards me. And uh, and it, it looked just like a homeless person. Uh, or you know something and I was like oh like and since I was alone didn't know the area I was like getting a little like I was like how what's about to happen is this you know what is this and so like I uh, they keep coming they keep coming they cross the street to my side of the road and I'm like oh man I'm gonna have to do something I was like I'll just give them my food and it'll be fine you know Mm -hmm. like uh, I'll leave it alone but then they like come and they're bundled up in this big jacket and everything like that and I I look up and the woman is like from where I am to about where you are. Yeah. And I swear to you, like I'm not even like big in into paranormal stuff, but this this situation changed my mind. It was the woman from my night terrors. You like serious? her face looked exactly like the woman from my night terrors, and she didn't say anything to me. Oh, so she's just like looking at me, and I was like, "What do you want?" And then Hell I was like, "Wait, nah. am I asleep right now?" And so I'm kind of like like looking around and I'm like hey, like you know trying to wake up and stuff and I'm like all right I got to get out of here so I'm like just take my food I'm going to run like don't judge me I'm going to run right. <laughs> but like, so I I just left my food there and I just like hauled ass down the street you know oh my and like I got to my friends I was like like are we awake am I awake you know and they're like what right. are you talking about <laughs> so uh, the crazier thing is I haven't seen that woman in my my night terrors since then. So I'm like, maybe wow. I helped her. Maybe, maybe it needed I was to nice happen. Yeah, something oh like that. So, uh, yeah, well, you should have heard me trying to describe that story. to everybody in the van that night. I was like, this lady from my nightmares is like, you know, right. she's Freddy Krueger and me or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's probably the craziest one. Yeah, that, yeah. That's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I still get chills when I think about it because it was like so real. That it creeps is me out. insane. Maybe I'm still asleep. Yeah, maybe you, you guys are all in my dream right now. Right? Maybe this is a dream. Did I write about it? I don't know how to work that into a song. <laughs> but, no, uh, no, you oh, can make it like a film. Or I something. actually have thought about making like a short film about that. Uh, I should I should give that some more thought. I had like a whole like uh, movie idea based around it. Um, but I, yeah, if yeah. you look at my voice memos on my phone, I have like 150 different ideas. And I'm like, I should pick that one to stick on, stick to, stick with, yeah. you know, flesh it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely scary. Now I'm worried. I'm tonight. I'm gonna have a night terror, and oh, it's because of this. Hopefully not. <laughs> Summons all the evil. Please, please don't blame us. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <this is> your fault. <laughs> um. So you recently released new music on Spotify, correct? Yeah. Yes. Oh, shameless yeah. plug time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's it called, Ed? Uh, uh, so the band is called Yeah Sure, um, and we. We on like honestly, it just came from I just miss playing music with my friends. We yeah. were kind of like looking at it like, hey, do we really want to like go out and like tour and try to make something happen? And we we're kind of like, huh, I don't know. But what we would like to do is write and release songs. I've uh, been producing music videos and I shot like a short pilot thing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we really like that aspect of it too. Um, so yeah, we were like, well, why don't we just like release some music, uh, put some videos out. We don't have to like pour everything in the world into it. You know, we were trying to get back to what made it fun for us in the first place. So, uh, and our guitarist currently lives in Texas. So it's like we weren't really able to play shows or anything yeah. like that. Um, he's working on moving back here. So that may change. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, we were just like trying to be 100% honest with we're playing for fun. Let's only 
do stuff that we feel strongly about, like only play songs that we really love and like or would enjoy to play. So um, a lot of it is very influenced by uh, all of us grew up on like 90s, like grunge and alternative music like Nirvana. Um, Nirvana is probably the, the biggest influence, but uh, things like that. And then we're all fans of like 60s, like Beatles and, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So we're uh, Beach Boys as well. So we're hoping that our sound is somewhere between like Nirvana and, and Beach Boys and like all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like a dark twist on on those vibes. I know 90s stuff is very in right now, but that right. was a happy accident, right. you know, <laughs> but it's just ha what we happen to, to love. So yeah, we shot, shot a music video recently. Um, the song kind of talks about, uh, the culture of school shooting. So it's a little bit dark. Uh, the video kind of follows through with that theme and it's kind of interesting. So mm -hmm. yeah, you can see it. At, it's at yasherband.com. Yeah, we sure, made our website man. look very 90s on purpose. Like it's very like it looks like those yeah. old school. Like <laughs> I don't know if you're even old enough to remember what a guest book is on a website. Do you know what that is? No. Wow. <laughs> uh, we can cut that. If yeah, you know, no, <laughs> that's fine. Again, no shame. I, like I barely remember it, but this was like back in the like the. Uh, what is it? AOL Instant Messenger days, like all the like mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. your way messages and things like that. So yeah, our website looks like that era basically. Like, oh okay. yeah, yeah. So gotcha. gearing a little bit more towards streaming, how do you feel about your music on Spotify? Um, it's fine. I mean, you just look at it as a promotional tool because uh, until you get to a certain point, you're not gonna, especially if you're splitting songwriting royalties. Uh, I think we did the math and we get. Um, per person in our band of four people, we get point zero zero three five cents yeah, uh, for every every stream. You know, so it, it is what it is. But again, it's a good way to sort of just like grow your your fan base and everything. Yeah, um, we've been we've been talking a little bit more about which angle we're gonna hit, um, mm -hmm. and I think because of the visuals and some of the storytelling elements that that we have, uh, I think we want to focus a little bit more on YouTube and, and yeah. you know it just. Uh, to be able to convey the like I think that our look and the vibe of how we're shooting everything filming everything mm -hmm. um, is a big part of our identity as a band so we just kind of want to focus on that but yeah Spotify is fine it's there it's yeah. uh, right. you're not going to make a killing on it yeah, unless no. you really get your numbers way up but right. it is what it is that's unless how people Beyonce. listen to music yeah <laughs> yeah for sure right. um, so mm -hmm. cool final question mm -hmm. uh, so or not even a question I guess it is a question. <laughs> your biggest, your biggest piece of advice for um, any up and coming artists or anybody thinking about getting into artist management, just your biggest piece of advice overall for anything like that. Um, let's see. Do your homework, and what I mean by that is for real. Like, learn your music history. It sounds like old man advice, but f like. I'm telling you, there's so many things I found from studying other people's careers that would have saved me, you know, one or two year chunks of my own career if I'd just known about it. And as we mentioned, like there, I know in public schools, this stuff's not being taught. Um, so like, you've got to find it on your own, but it's there. So mm -hmm. whoever your favorite artists are, um, whoever you kind of like look up to, dive into their background and start like, you know, Google who manages them. Mm -hmm. Try to find that out and find YouTube interviews with them. Um, I listen to podcasts all the time. You can find a lot of information like it, long form interviews with some of the most successful artist managers of all time, you know, and they'll give you ideas that'll feed into, into, you know, your work. So don't be afraid to pull those influences. I think that's, that's probably a big one. And I think the other thing is really focus on what makes you interesting as a person. 
and how you can incorporate that into the storytelling of your career. If you think about the artists that you love, yeah, it's the music that you like, mm -hmm. but also what do you really connect with? It's a, it's a story. Like it's either stories that they tell in their lyrics or the story of their lives or part of their personality. So something I say in my class a lot is just like, like the audience only sees what you show them. So be very deliberate about you know, t telling whatever stories or, or things from your, your personality that you think are interesting, show it to them because they don't know it exists if you don't find an interesting way right. to do it, you know. So, um, yeah, I, that's probably the two biggest things. I, again, I could talk for 45 <laughs> more minutes, so I'll stop there. Uh, okay, <laughs> cool. I think we got it. That's that's good. Great advice. Uh, we appreciate having you here. Absolutely. Yes. This Thank, fun. You Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> and uh, I think we got it. Sparkcast podcast. <laughs>